Welcome to the Rosenfeld Review. I'm Lou Rosenfeld. Today's guest, you certainly uh, know him if you have been involved in the Interaction Design Association, where he is the uh, the, the London chapter uh, local leader, um, Boon Yu Chu. Welcome. Hi, Lou. Thanks very much for having me. It's great to have you, Boon. Uh, you all may uh, know Boone as well as someone who is a, uh, a real uh, advocate of systems thinking in the UX community. Uh, he actually does have a day job where that work or that thinking is relevant. He's a senior principal designer at uh, Elsevier, a huge company that does analytics and, and publishing and uh, a million other things in scientific, technical, and, and medical content. And to me, Boone, that is like the definition, Elsevier, of like a really large enterprise. And so it's no surprise that we have you as one of the three people, along with Cheryl Kababa and Paul Pongaro, talking about systems thinking and, and how UX people can leverage it in an enterprise setting at Enterprise UX June 6th and 7th. And I'm really excited because systems thinking is this area that um, Yahoo's like me uh, sort of pretend we know what it's about. I mean, like I could nod my head and get away with it at a, uh, a conversation with other UX people. But the truth of the matter is I don't know if any of us really know what it, what it really means and what its real impacts are. And that's what I thought we could talk about today. Um, and, you know, would it be fair to start by saying it's kind of a systems thinking is really almost like a completely different frame or perspective uh, uh, to understand things that are complex, certainly different than if you went to a design school or boot camp, what they would teach you about understanding complex systems. Yeah. I would I would agree with that, um, especially if you were to um, say come from a design school experience and jump your you know, drop yourself right in the middle of a systems thinking program, um, it would feel quite different. Um, that being said, I think there are a lot of overlaps and similarities between the ways that designers think and do things and the way that systems thinking practitioners, or I think that's what they call themselves, uh, think about things and go about their work. Uh, I think that there's quite a bit of overlap, yeah. Well, what are the, some of the contrasts? Let's start with those, and then we can come to some of the, uh, the overlapping, intersecting parts. Sure. Well... Maybe a good place to start would be uh, some of the founding history uh, behind systems thinking. Um, it's had its own set of communities of practice, its own heroes and books and experts. Um, they're, they're historically quite also rooted in a uh, scientific domain. So mm -hmm. um, you might hear um, people like Paul Pongaro talk about um, the heyday 
back in the 40s or 50s when there was this huge explosion around uh, cybernetics, you know, a certain aspect of systems thinking, and a bunch of experts came together from different disciplines and just started hanging out and talking about what they understand about this, this thing called systems. Um, that's very different from, say, the history of design, where you have very different sorts of designers coming together. Uh, it's very a, a completely different group of people. Um, well, so well, I guess that's one contrast. <laughs> well, let me let me ask a little bit about that. So, why did those like what kind of people were getting together in the forties and fifties, and uh, what what kind of systems were suggesting themselves to that group, and why then? So, my Paul will probably do a better job explaining it than me. But my my knowledge of it is that um, there are a bunch of folks who were interested in understanding. Um, this new way of thinking, which would um, help us figure out um, ways to sort of um, think about the nature of how things uh, come around and how they might change over time. And this idea of, of feedback loops mm -hmm. going around, kind of cycling back on each other. Um, and what um, what a bunch of them wanted to do was not just kind of do that thinking alone. They wanted to also uh, expand that um, that that method of thought and said it's applicable to a bunch of other domains, not just in mathematics, not just in physics. Uh, it also applies to all kinds of things like sociology, ecology, and a bunch of other places, right? So they brought all these people from different domains to talk about that. And at first, it was kind of bumpy, as you would expect. Different people had different ways of of describing the thing. Mm -hmm. But eventually, they came to some consensus. Uh, but yeah, I guess that that's kind of what happened around that time, uh, particularly around this idea of cybernetics. So that's one of the, the, the aspects of that. There were also other schools and other groups of people who were kind of doing similar-ish things. But this is one part of the kind of old history of systems thinking. And, and were they looking at the systems that many of us are looking at in the design space? Uh, are they looking at organizations as systems? Were they looking at um, how people interacted with with systems as well uh, that you know what might be designed? So for those mm -hmm. of you uh, listening, um, Boone's nodding his head. <laughs> but uh, so hopefully I'm on the right track with the question. Yeah, I, I don't think that there were any design designers there. Um, I think Paul might have been one of the few people who had an intersection in design as a, as a field. Um, but Paul's also kind of quite, uh, he's got a lot of different strengths and skills and experiences. So he's, he's a bit of a, um, a good Swiss army knife. Mm -hmm. um, but the kind of folks I, I, I feel are close to, to the design space were people who uh, came from the anthropology space, sociology. Uh, certainly we, we uh, some of the design work we, uh, we do um, draws from work uh, who, from, from, um, systems thinkers who have done observations in the, in in the organization space as well. Uh, so so there's there's there are some experts 
Chris Argeris, like I'm probably really mispronouncing his his last name. Um, and uh, Sean was the other the other one. Um, people have Dave Gray. I think we um, mm-hmm. he's, he's published a book with Rosenfeld. Mm-hmm. Wrote, written a book on liminal thinking mm-hmm. uh, that draws from their work. And so these these people were also kind of mixed in and kind of hanging out with all these um, people who were thinking about systems and complexity. Um, so some of our work kind of draws also from uh, from from that trajectory, so to speak. We just don't call it systems thinking. You know, it comes through to us by way of kind of organizational or management science or mm. management thinking or whatever. Yeah. So is that where the overlap is then that um, a lot of people in the design world are panning back from maybe the the, the level of micro interactions and, and are confronted with the fact that they are part of these broader systems. Uh, usually the organization and the, the context of that organization that they work for, that they're trying to develop products and services within and are kind of uh, flummoxed by what skills or frameworks they've been provided with in their academic training or what other training they've had. Maybe that's, you know, traditional design or research craft. And now um, see that there's like it, that's a, like an incomplete view of this monstrous beast of a system they're part of. Mm. Yeah, uh, I certainly agree. And I've had my fair share of struggles um, trying to get my work done, which is complex enough. Uh, if we think about the work of design within an enterprise uh, through to through 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 really complicated and complex projects, uh, very diverse stakeholder groups. Uh, let alone think about it as a system, right? So, I don't. I think most people struggle with the enormity of trying to understand all these things all at once and still have to do their job. <laughs> um, well, I imagine like yeah. the starting point is hey, um, the the this is a system. Let's acknowledge that that frame of system is different than um, maybe what a lot of people expected that they would be confronted by when they went into this field. And so there's system. And where do I fit in that system? Where do the people I'm serving, working with, developing with, creating with and for fit in that system? Uh, What about the organization I'm part of? And is it part of a much bigger system. Um, So that seems like a pretty major pivot or even like a a paradigm shift for a lot of people. Is that what, like, how did you find your way? Did you have some aha moment of, oh, you know, I need to look at things differently and, oh, here's systems thinking that's helpful. Yeah, my my journey definitely hasn't been very linear, and but I do have some. I did have some background um, learning back when I was still in design school. Um, one of the courses that was part of my core, my 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 program was a a module called organizational informatics. 
Mm-hmm. It's a funky name for for a design program course. Um, and in that module, um, I studied uh, about this thing called soft systems methodology, and it was taught by a fairly eccentric professor, um, British professor. Um, and basically, what I learned about that um, was how to go around uh, stakeholder groups to almost kind of like apply user research uh, to learn about different stakeholders' perspectives on a problem. Because, um, you know, the, the assumption is that there's a problem to be solved. Uh, it's, it's messy. It's challenging. And you're going to have to work with lots of different people. <laughs> and so software systems methodology had a structured approach uh, that, that taught you how to go about um, going around messy organizations to get perspectives from different people and sort of embrace the differences that people had about a thing, you know, whether it was a different ways of looking at a problem space, all of their divergent feelings and needs and goals, all the all of the conflicts, all of those things, sort of embrace that as part of the process. Uh, and one of the funny things that I learned about the the end, you know, what, where does it lead to, right? Uh, was not a an answer. It doesn't get you to mm-hmm. an answer, but what it gets you to is a question. Mm-hmm. What is the what is the question that everyone's trying to ask? <laughs> um, I remember coming away with that. I'm like, oh, okay. So I had to, I, I kind of I'll go on one one whole circle basically. I started a question, I go all the way around, and I come back with a question. <laughs> but that kind of sat at the back of at the back of my mind uh, for years and years and years and years because uh, I I did that program way back in 2008 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and I think it sort of gradually gnawed away at me. Uh, and a few years ago. Um, um, I met a, a, a friend uh, who was, to, to me, was the first um, professional systems thinking pr- practitioner. And I got to learn all this other stuff uh, about systems thinking that I never really bothered to learn about. And that started my journey into learning about all these different things. And I struggled through finding my own way. Uh, to piece together what would what seemed to make sense of of, of every everything that I, I could learn, but I think that SSM was basically kind of um, a revisit back to what I learned and trying to go, aha, okay, maybe this is starting to be you know useful for me. Maybe I could start that way. Well, you know, it's interesting when you were talking about the like embarking on user research with stakeholders. What it's, what I started feeling like you were maybe suggesting is that. Maybe, maybe like the the ultimate goal of user research is to detect systems that we didn't see before. Yeah, and I in the last few weeks, as I've been thinking about the talk for the conference, I think a really good way of helping ourselves make sense of it is really about it's 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 kind of like applying user research mm-hmm. or design inward on our own organizations and on our own selves within the context of our organizations, Mm -hmm. which it's really challenging because, you know, we've already got the job of trying to design for our customers and our end users. 
then we have to go and figure out how to design for our own selves. But if we don't do that, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, like, um, so the 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 complaint that so many people in the UX space have is, you know, the the product lead or owner is is making, you know, bad decisions and is is doing the wrong thing and is confounding everything. And you know, I want to quit because of that. And it, it almost sounds as if what you are. Uh, what a systems thinker is going to help with there, or at least that frame, is, well, you know, you got to understand that, you know, that person has, is, you know, not only part of a broader system, but they have a local system, which has maybe very different goals, metrics, cadence for action. Uh, you know, they don't have the same goals that, that you might have as a designer or as a researcher. And, um, you know, it, it, we, we can sort of understand that at an almost emotional level and yet still be frustrated. But if you have the system to give context to that, what we see as behavior, maybe that kind of takes away some of the emotional you know, frustration that we have and, and gives us a bit more empathy for where that annoying product owner is and why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I would definitely agree with that. There's a thing, a quote that gets used a lot in the systems thinking space. It's a quote from Peter Senge in his book, The Fifth Discipline. And one of the things that he calls out is that when you apply a systems lens on things, there really is no blame. Mm. You can't really point at someone and saying, and say that's that person's fault. Um, and I was watching a video from another systems um, uh, thinking expert, uh, Gregory Bates, and it was it's his, his daughter who's a filmmaker, created this documentary about her father. And in there, there's a there's a, a, a part where one of her daughters is talking about her observations of uh, a schizophrenic child patient and her his parents uh and she was also going through a self-realization of the fact that initially she had been pointing out oh the the child is at fault mm. no the parent is at fault oh the therapist is at fault and then she's they, it's, it suddenly hit her that no it's the whole system the, the whole thing combined, the way it works, um, causes certain behaviors to, um, yeah, to, to, to bubble up. Um, well, that's more, so interesting. You know, uh, you know, this is going to sound terrible, but um, I, I used to get really mad at people who I thought were rude or I didn't understand why they were behaving the, the way they were behaving. It didn't seem rational or fair to me. And, uh, one thing that really helped me a lot was labeling conditions. You know, oh, that person is, you know, such and such. They're, they're ADHD. Oh, okay, that explains things. And, and suddenly I would start feeling like that sense of frustration and, and desire to blame dissolve. And it was very liberating. I don't know if it's necessarily you know, the right thing to do. I mean, maybe the problems with me, not the other person, but whatever, it started to feel better. And I feel like what you're suggesting 
is, and, and maybe other systems thinkers, that that lens is another way to, to at least, if not get to a point of understanding uh, other people, it's at least gets you to uh, accepting them. And yeah, uh, it, yeah. yeah. I well, think I'll, it goes one step further. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll, 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 I, that's really a good because it kind of helps me segue into the way that a system thinker would look at it. It would, it would, um, it would acknowledge that there is some kind of condition that's unique, mm -hmm. um, that has something about it, something about it that that um, that that makes it makes the the system. Uh, behave a certain way and then the system goes on uh, further to figure out like it's not about the condition per se but how all everything else around it is interacting around it it's so it's, it's kind of like a holistic lens on on the system at large as opposed to just specifically on the condition of the person having the thing yeah i mean it, i guess it sort of shows you that the person who you may see as the aggressor, like the subject to your object is in effect an object <laughs> in a system that you may not understand until you use systems thinking as a lens to, to dig in. Yeah. Well, all right, so we've just basically, um, you know, uh, to some degree uh, decoded de systems thinking at a, at a broad level and, and, and covered a little bit of its history and, uh, and revealed along the way uh, my, uh, you know, unfortunate internal psychology. But um, we're going to take a quick break and, and then maybe, Boone, we should dig into how people are using systems thinking in a kind of applied way that you've seen in enterprises. So we'll be right back. We're talking to Boon Chu, and you are listening to the Rosenfeld Review. Hey, it's Lou. Uh, what am I promoting this time? A new conference, Enterprise UX 2023. Wait a minute, you've heard of Enterprise UX before. Yep, that's the name of the conference. First big one we ever did back in 2015. We're bringing it back in 2023. Why? Because people who work in large enterprises, whether you're a designer, a researcher, a writer, are struggling to amplify uh, your impact, struggling to scale up for enterprise class challenges. But there's all these great new tools and techniques and practices that are maturing that can help you do that scaling up. One is systems thinking, another's information architecture, another's AI, another is designing with data. Those are the four themes we're covering in Enterprise UX 2023 virtual conference taking place June 6th and June 7th. We're going to dig deeply into each of those four areas in ways that help you learn from them, benefit from them, but do so without destroying the planet because they are scary if in the wrong hands. So come join us at Enterprise UX 2023. We've also got a couple of great keynoters, Greg Petroff, and Aveda Sampson joining us. I hope you'll join us too. Welcome back to the Rosenfeld Review. Uh, I am Lou. I am talking with Boone. We are talking about systems thinking. Uh, again, Boone is the uh, senior principal UX designer at Elsevier, IXDA uh, uh, activist of a sort. You've been really involved for quite a long time. 
in that wonderful organization and um, uh, speaker at the upcoming Enterprise UX 2023 conference taking place June 6th and 7th, a wonderful virtual experience put on by um, Rosenfeld Media, Uh, not that I'm biased, and uh, Boone's talk is titled, for now, might change a little bit here or there, but making sense of systems and using systems to make sense of the enterprise. Now, before the break, we were kind of doing the first part of it, making sense of systems. Now, let's turn to using systems to make sense of the enterprise. And I thought maybe we could dig into a little bit of the applied aspects of how UX people are using systems thinking in enterprises. Yeah, we, in my own space, um, I have come across people who uh, have studied uh, systems thinking in s- some way, shape, or form, either through a formal course or picking up somewhere uh, along their journey. Um, but it's not evidently applied um, in our workspace Um we, I, I don't come across a lot of the typical tools, methods, or even terminology from the systems um, world uh, in my day job. Mm-hmm. So um, when I apply um, my work uh, through a systems lens, um, I try not to rock the boat too much by trying to use um, systems methods or systems terminology and language that might alienate my, you know, my, the, the people I work with. Um, yeah. Cause you know, it's not a common thing. You're not selling systems but, thinking, yeah. but you're, you're secretly slipping it into their, to, to their cup of tea. Yeah, it's basically about doing the work, you know, because the work is the work and we can use different words to talk about some, the, the same thing. So um, I don't need to be explaining to them what a causal loop diagram is, mm-hmm. but if I can draw it and it, it it's it's accessible, visually accessible to someone and I can use it to communicate a point, then then I'll do that, which I've done before. Uh, I don't need to tell my explain what a causal loop diagram is to my stakeholder. I just go ahead and do it kind of thing. So is that where a lot of the benefit has has been for you as as someone doing design work in an enterprise to use the visualizations of systems to help add context to to your work and to help show that context to maybe to stakeholders? Yeah. And I, I think the way I've approached it uh, is to eat my own dog food, mm-hmm. to be comfortable with the processes and the understanding myself to a point where I can confidently and comfortably explain it and talk about it to people uh, in their own frame of reference, in their own language and so on uh, before going out yeah, and, and doing it. So I find myself having to do double work, actually, of experimenting with different ways of applying my systems knowledge and packaging it in such a way that makes it accessible to, to someone else. So have you, so the, one is the visualization, 
mm -hmm. uh, because there is a, a rich visual language in systems thinking. Uh, it's uh, my understanding is it's pretty established. You can you know anyone can you know you know pick up Danella Meadows book or probably some others and and learn that and start to apply that. But um, what I mean, like, can you maybe talk about? Um, in a, a situation where you used something like that to change someone's thinking, to help enlighten them about a challenge that you were working on together? Yeah. Um, I think that my successes so far hasn't been about changing mindsets per se, but in helping us figure out whether this is a worthy problem to solve over mm -hmm. something else. As in, if we were to step, almost a, a case of if we were to step back and look at the system, I won't call it that, but if we were to do the work of stepping back and appreciating like what's going on in this space, and I find a way of communicating that, then then to me, that's, that, that's, um, that's what I've done before. So there's an there's a piece of work I've been working on uh, over the last few years, bit by bit. Uh, there's a big content management uh, migration and replatforming work that's happening, um, and there's lots of complexity um, in many aspects of the work. Mm -hmm. um, one of the aspects is that the the certain dynamics of how that content is managed actually has a polarity nature associated with them. What I mean by that is that um, on one hand, uh, the content, the nature of the content uh, continues to grow and grow and grow because the, the, the industry is changing, the content needs to change, uh, and therefore, uh, and, and because of the, of the complexity of the, the work that we're doing, more content needs to be added to it. Mm -hmm. But the challenge is that if the more content gets added to it, the more difficult and inaccessible it is to readers and viewers of that content. And so we have this kind of double challenge of having to manage the growing complexity of the content, uh, yet still deal with the need to communicate that content. It's mm. kind of like an, art, an information architecture challenge. Of but course it you, is. If you apply the system. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't exist. <laughs> No, no, and that's one of the reasons why I've been applying a lot of IA-based approaches to it. You know, structured content, metadata, modeling, da da da. But then one of the things I I also did was to step back, way back, and go like, if we zoomed all the way out and looked at the dynamics of how the content's evolving, there are essentially two cycles that are fighting against each other. <laughs> and I drew that in a diagram. I didn't call it a causal loop diagram, but it was or it was kind of like a causal influence diagram. And I put it on my blog. I said, have, I put this out because uh, I'm experimenting with a blog format and I and I felt like this would be a good place to put my thoughts. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to get your thoughts. And I just stayed silent uh, and wanted to hear back from my stakeholders. And, they, and it, it really resonated with them, you know, because they're, they're, they're in the thick of it. They're in the business of dealing with all these requests and the complexity of the content and all that. So... Um, so it's interesting. So you, you, if I understand what you did, first of all, um, in a big complex space where there's lots of work to be done, 
you had to um, you you used the 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 frame of systems thinking to kind of dig deeply into the problem space, or actually you found it sounds like these competing problems. Um, but you also used, so that's really important. Like you showed that these problems were big, but they were also related to each other. But um, you also use systems thinking to help you with prioritization, which is really important when there's way more work to be done than there are resources to do it. So, um, you know, I, I'm hearing some really interesting things here. So this is going to be, let me try to summarize uh, and hopefully uh, the listeners are probably three steps ahead of me. But I hear you saying there is a um, systems thinking is helping you understand context in ways and maybe even empathize or certainly understand other people and the systems they're confronted with the context they work in or live in. Another way it's benefiting you is uh, it's helping provide a visual language that other people can also learn from because uh, any kind of commonality uh, of communications, whether it's a visual language or any other language, is, it can be really helpful. Uh, and this is a language designed for complexity. A third thing is um, the uh, that... that Language can help reveal not just problems, but problems that relate to each other that may not be obviously connected. So those two loops grinding against each other uh, that you described earlier. And then finally, um, uh, as a tool for helping with prioritization, like if you understand the system and you understand what's going on, better, you'll have a better idea of which challenges you have a snowball's chance in hell of addressing and uh, mm. which might be a little too um, too big at the moment or maybe have to be broken down into smaller uh, components to, to really be tackled. Mm. Yeah. And I think the, the light bulb moment when you start to get more and more familiar working this way is that problems are not fixed. Mm -hmm. And it's easier if problems are, are persistent and have a clear, um, you know, there's a clear construction of that problem that, that everybody knows, ah, okay, it's that problem. We know we need to fix it. Just get on with the work. But if the, if the problem is changing all the time or it has a kind of nebulous nature to it, then it's got a life of its own. And you kind of can't just put it on as a sentence because that sentence might change depending on how you look at that problem, in, re in which case it might end up being uh, a system of a problem, if that makes sense. It's got a life of its own. Wow. Now we're getting really uh, either uh, so meta that um, uh, I, I'm about to melt down or, or we're nesting inside of nesting and so I don't know what's going on, but you know what? Boone, uh, for me, it's 5.30 on a Friday, which means it's like 10.30 p.m. for you in London. And I think we've earned um, whatever we're going to drink after. I wish I was in person. Mm -hmm. I'd drink with you. Yeah, I will, vir I will virtually raise a glass. 
Well, I'm going to raise a glass to you and thank you. But before um, we wrap up, I'd like to know what gift you brought for our listeners. Sure. Um, I um, would want to recommend um, a community of people who are really passionate about systems thinking. Um Partly because I'm a community person myself, mm -hmm. being part of the IXDA. Um, but this community is not uh, a design community. It's a, it's a community um, of systems practitioners run by systems practitioners. Uh, it's called the Systems Innovation Network mm -hmm. uh, or Systems Innovation Hub. Um, and for anyone who's looking for a community of people who are really passionate about systems, um that's a that's a good community to check out uh and they're quite active you know they, they post a lot on youtube and there's um there's a a, a a virtual space that they hang out in and and do meetups all the time and it's a global community of practitioners as well so you might uh be surprised to find a local hub near you in a nearby city um so do check them out Excellent. Well, um, nice to know that uh, the systems uh, thinking people are uh, getting together and, and opening up the, the community to, to more people to get involved with. And again, not surprising. Uh, like you said, you're a community guy, and, and certainly a lot of us appreciate all the work you've done for IXDA and that community. And I certainly appreciate that you joined us uh, late in the evening on a Friday night. And uh, I'm really looking forward to your talk at Enterprise UX. Uh, just to remind folks, the conference is uh, June 6th and 7th. It's got four themes. One we've already touched on briefly is information architecture. Another is designing with data. Another is AI and machine learning. And then this one that Boon Chu is part of, along with Paul Pongaro and Cheryl Kababa, they're going to be talking about systems thinking. And all four of those themes are going to be looked at from the perspective of how UX people can uh, learn from them, use them, uh, and benefit from them as they try to scale up the impact they have in large enterprises. It's Enterprise UX, June 6th and 7th. Boone, thank you so much for joining us. It's been great to have the conversation. Great to see you. And uh, thank you for joining the Rosenfeld Review today. Thanks, Lou. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Rosenfeld Review brought to you by Rosenfeld Media. If you like our show, please subscribe and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. I'd love it if you tell a friend to have a listen and check out our website for over 100 podcasts with other interesting people. You'll find them all at rosenfeldreview.com.